here it is. Last one. The last episode of PodBN Election Edition 2021 with Kevin McCarthy from the town of Normal. We did it. Thank you to all of you who listened to this. We hope it was helpful. We've heard so many nice things from people, so many encouraging comments. It took us a lot of time to do it, but we were able to do it with your support and also with the support of Little Beaver Brewery. There were some additional things that we needed to do in order to make this work during COVID, and it literally would not have been possible without the support of Little Beaver. So thank you so much for what you have done for us. We hope other people will stop by Five Finance Drive and check you out. One last plug for the Beaver Burger. It is top four burgers. I'm going to drive Justin and Jeremy nuts with this. I'm going to say it's top four burger now. It just raised up the rankings. Go check it out. Little Beaver Brewery, Five Finance Drive. LittleBeaverBrewery.com. Welcome to PodBN. We are here today with uh, council member Kevin McCarthy from Normal. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Ed. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, we, we always want to start by kind of reminding our listeners that Normal is an at-large. Uh, you're running for Normal Town Council. It's not words like in Bloomington, so it's the entire city uh, that you're running for council on. And, and you're currently on uh, Normal Town Council running for uh, for re-election here, three spots, nine candidates, and you're doing a race in the middle of COVID. So how's that going? You know, it's uh, it, it's it's interesting. You know, not uh, there's there's none of the normal things that we get to do, all puns intended. Um, uh, you know, no chance to really um, uh, meet a bunch of people at events, talk about platforms live, so they actually get to see who I am and look me in the eye and have a conversation. But uh, but, you know, we, um, we're out the doors, literally. I mean, uh, 20 minutes ago, I was standing on somebody's front porch talking to them face-to-face. Uh, we're very much out doing that. Um, this weekend alone, uh, we were at the doors of about 1,000 voters just between yesterday and today, having lots of good conversations about what's on the minds of, of uh, voters in normal, uh, how they feel about what we're doing, uh, which has generally been a very, very positive conversation. And... Uh, and uh, the chance to ask them uh, if there's uh, anything that they want me to do to be able to represent them better. Great opportunity to listen to the, the, to the voters. So what are, what are you hearing in these conversations about? What, what's on the mind? What are the big issues? And, and kind of what's, uh, what's motivating you to run again? Yeah, so um, uh, a number of things. And, and by the way, I uh, throw in there, and most people that – follow normal politics. Now, I'm also the mayor pro tem. That means when Mayor Coos isn't around, uh, um, I get to go off and do whatever I want with this community. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I stand in for the mayor and uh, he and I work closely on a number of issues as well. So that gives a flavor for, for what my role is on the council for folks that aren't aware of that. Um, you know, I'm uh, kind of backwards. I'm, I'm running, frankly, for the same reason that I started uh, I love the town of Normal. I think it is a great place to live. Uh, and I just want to listen and represent uh, my fellow citizens well. I don't have a particular agenda, uh, but, but just to, to listen and represent well. Um, but, you know, it, we are in a different time. The town is facing a triple threat of economic instability, uh, very divisive politics, and as we all know, a global pandemic. And I believe normal citizens... Uh, deserve experienced collaborative leaders with a proven uh, track record of success. 
Um, and, uh, you know, my background, I'm a successful uh, small business owner. Uh, nearly 29 years ago, I started a company. Uh, I bring a, a pragmatic, forward-looking, results-oriented focus um, to counsel. Um, and I've used that focus to manage funds responsibly um, while continuing to invest prudently in the future. We can't, we can't abandon, abandon that future. And uh, more than any other election that I've been involved in, you know, normal voters have a critical choice right now between those of us that are focused on progress and on community investment and those that are focused on austerity and disinvestment in our future. And so, uh, you know, since I've been on the council since 2012, I've really dedicated myself to representing the perspectives of everybody in the community. I've been a strong uh, advocate of engagement I've served right alongside my fellow citizens on uh, uh, the comprehensive plan, the 2040 visioning plan, the community-wide sustainability plan, a number of the large scale to, to be able to hear them, to be able to participate right along with them about what they think the future of their community should be. Uh, with my council colleagues, uh, I've supported economic development projects that have uh, benefited the entire community. Um, the result of some of those projects uh, has been tens of millions of dollars in new property value, uh, literally the creation of thousands of jobs, uh, and nearly a billion dollars of private investment and economic benefit. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about Rivian at some point. Um, but I've also done, um, uh, outside of, of my normal council duties, uh, collaborated with community partners to create uh, business and education partnerships that uh, ensure local employment, educational opportunities, talent development, and access to education. Um, a couple of those, uh, I co-created the BN STEM uh, partnership through the Economic Development Council, where we brought together local businesses and, and school districts to give them the opportunities to work directly with our companies, state farm, country companies, Microsoft all participated in those for assistantships and real world practice. Uh, I uh, recently co-founded with Alderman Maffey uh, from Bloomington, the Bloomington Normal Innovation Alliance, which is a smart cities initiative bringing together Bloomington Normal, ISU, Westland, Heartland, and a number, number of others to look at technological innovation in government operations for efficiency and in educational opportunities. So again, another partnership. Uh, this past summer, I worked uh, on the United Way Task Force uh, trying to bring consistent internet connection to rural McLean County, South McLean County. And as you know, when school went uh, to home, an internet connection was crucial. Well, we had a lot of students in, in rural McLean County that didn't have reliable internet were sitting in school parking lots working on their laptops. So worked on a task force bringing funders and IT people together to try to solve that problem. Um, you know, over the last 20 years, you guys, I've volunteered enough, a ton uh, I currently serve on the Behavioral Health Coordinating Council, which was an uh, initiative spun up to implement the um, community-wide mental health action plan. Uh, I've been uh, on the board of the McLean County Convention and Visitor Bureau Board for about eight years. Uh, I served on the uh, Town and Rural Race and Law Enforcement Task Force. Uh, I currently serve on an advisory committee for uh, at Illinois State University. Uh, I'm the volunteer diving coach at Illinois Westland for 16 years. Uh, I've been on the board of the Lake Run Club for 20 years. Uh, I'll stop there. There's more to tell, but but you can tell I've really been involved because I love this community. And uh, when, when I was a young boy, young high school age and, and college age, I had the benefit of two mentors in my life. And both of them were, were very big engagers. 
And they taught me very early to get involved in the community and that if you want a great place to live, if you want a great organization or great community, you have to get up and get involved. You have to be willing to lead. And, and that's really where my servant leadership approach comes from. More than you wanted, but there you go. A, a, a lot to unpack there. Unfortunately, we only got, you know, 40 minutes or so. So can't dive into every one of those. But one, one of the items that you did mention there uh, with the, the joint effort uh, with Alderman Matthew in Bloomington, I did want to highlight that. We, we had a conversation with Jamie Matthew on the podcast as well. And interestingly, he brought up the exact same uh, initiative as something he was proud of. And, and I posed the question to him that I'll pose to you. Uh, I said, well, you know, everything I read, um, you hear that the, the relations between Bloomington and Normal are somewhere on the scale of everything is roses and we're skipping and, and we're fine and kumbaya to mortal enemies to Cold War, you know, and, and, and from Metro Zone, from um, some of the working together with uh, the fire stations or police fire integration, uh, the um, the 911 system. I mean, there's a ton there, right? So really long, rambly way to say, talk to us about what has your interaction been with working with City of Bloomington, with Alderman Matthew, and, and the normal uh, Bloomington kind of city-town relations. What is that story? Yeah, great question. And, and uh, like I said, we, I mean, we could spend a whole, whole podcast episode on, on that as a you know, as um, other than Mayor Coos, the most senior member, most uh, tenured member on the council, I've had a lot of interaction. Um, you know, I sat at the table during the Metro Zone discussion, but I was actually in the room for those. And so I, I think the important thing that, that people should understand is, is that we have a very good working relationship. You know, if you ask me a word to describe the city of Bloomington, it would be partner. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have differences of opinion at a time that we don't have conflicts. But it means that we're both committed to, to, to uh, a mutual, ben, mutually beneficial, positive future. And, and you've, I'm sure others, uh, experienced council members would probably share, we have something like 48 intergovernmental agreements for shared fires, shared police, and some of the things that you, you mentioned already. And so we, we have a very respectful working relationship with one another. Does that mean that we're not going to have strife from time to time? We're not going to have disagreements from time to time? No. Um, but it's also important to understand that we are two separate cities with two separate elected boards of, of, of government, right, that are even structurally uh, formed in different ways. You mentioned that, that Normal is at large and, and Bloomington is uh, wards. You know, they have at times a very much more provincial focus, a, a much more or, you know, uh, 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 narrow focus for their particular geographic areas where, you know, we're required to keep the whole community. So what that means sometimes is we go in different directions. We have a different perspective on how things should be handled. Um, so for me, um, uh, as a guy that's a systems thinker, uh, a guy that's focused on, on development, again, as a small business person, if, if I don't keep uh, focus on investing in my future, my company doesn't have one. And the same thing with our community. Uh, uh, we can't allow ourselves to get mired down by administrations and councils and decisions in the past. We, we can't. We'd never move anywhere. So uh, Alderman Matthew and I meet frequently. We have lunches routinely. Uh, we met for over a year with a couple other uh, stakeholders on this uh, Smart City BN, uh, BN Innovation Alliance project um, to make sure that, that 
we were going to get it right, that, that we were, uh, had everybody's perspective at the table, that we could bring the right uh, people to bear, that we had the right ideas at the table to, to work together. And I think that's really what we've got to continue to be able to do. I think the more we can talk with each other, the more we can keep an open line of communication with each other, the more likely we're going to have a positive, fruitful outcome together. I appreciate all that you said. Um, and I, I'd like to kind of jump back to a couple of things that you said, because as the new guy on this podcast, sometimes I get allowed to ask the dumb questions. <laughs> so please indulge. The old guy um, gets to as well. So I'll say that. <laughs> no dumb so, questions. Um, my question was, uh, can you talk a little bit more about that mayor pro tem position? That was That's a new phrase. I haven't heard that before. Is that an appointed position or is that something that the council votes on and puts you in, in that spot? Great. No, it's when they force foist upon you now. Uh, in, in normal, the, uh, the uh, most tenured council member, other than the, the seated mayor, obviously, is yeah. mayor pro tem. And so basically what it means is, is when Mayor Coos is not around or if he's mm-hmm. ill or he's attending a function in Washington, D.C. Or, or something, then I am the acting mayor of the community at, at times. Sometimes that means, you know, when there's a, there's a tough issue on the, on the agenda that he doesn't like, I have to take that meeting for it. No, I'm no. just kidding. I'm yeah. just kidding. Now, he, uh, um, as, as you probably know, Mayor, um, does a lot of work on behalf of our community in Washington, D.C. And, and other places to try and, and work to bring grant dollars back and favorable legislation on behalf of the town of normal. So those are the times really when, when uh, I'm asked to step in and, and assume the mayor roles. Absolutely. And, and another question I had, you mentioned structural differences between um, the town of normal, which is a ward system and an at large um, bid here um, at a time when I've heard from from voters that, you know, there's that they're looking for more engagement. They're looking for more transparency. Could you defend the sort of at large system we have now? Is it is it strictly based on population or is there some more rationale to why we don't follow a ward structure? So, um uh, the why uh, predates me, right? I, I wasn't here when all sure. the, the form of city government was set up, but uh, you know, there's certain, there's there's pros and cons to both system. I, I won't spend a lot of time on the structural differences between Bloomington and, and Normal. I think you know, at times, you know, a, a purely ward system can be myopic, right? That we're focused on our square geographic, and and we miss some of the more uh, uh, big picture uh, type focus. Which, by the way, I don't think really is a is a trapping of the city of Bloomington. I think for the most part they do a really good job. Uh, the the only drawback I see for uh, a large system, other than now that I'm in a campaign, I have to knock on everybody's door in the community, not just my board. But um, uh, so every four years I don't like it. But um, uh, no, I think the only drawback is sometimes people think that they're looking for their ward representative type of an approach, and that that they don't realize that. You know, if they build a relationship with one of us, that's great, but they can build a relationship with anyone. And I, and I think actually that once people realize that, that's empowering to citizens once they realize that, hey, there's seven people that are willing to listen to me and, and hear my voice and get on the phone with me or come to my house to let me show them what they're talking about. So I, I think there's a little bit of kind of startup friction sometimes with that because they're looking for their person. But once they're over that, they realize that that they've really got seven people pulling for them. And, and Bloomington, actually, a couple of years back, there was some talk of a proposal of going to more of a, a modifier, yep. a, a blended where they would have some at-large uh, board 
board members as well. So who knows? I'm with you. Like, I don't know when the system started, but it seems like that conversation comes up about every decade or so of should we change? And they go, nah, keep it the same and, and move on. So maybe we're due. Who knows? Um, I, I know that we want to uh, get into some of the issues that are uh, you're hearing out there on the campaign. I, I, you mentioned a ton of them already. I don't know where where do you want to start of um, what do you think is kind of the, the you know, you're put in charge day one, setting the agenda. This is what we need to tackle. Um, lead us there. What what issue are we covering? What's what's the important one in your mind? Wow. Well, we only have 45 minutes, so <laughs> 30 now, you know. <laughs> For, first and foremost, right, this isn't going to come as a shock to anybody is, is you know, our, our resiliency through the pandemic, right? And, um, you know, I was having a conversation with two different people today on two different aspects of the pandemic. One, one normal resident was very focused on the financial consequences of what's going on. And I shared, you know, the budgetary stuff that we've done, right? We cut $9 million from the budget during a pandemic time. Uh, in anticipation of some some very pandemic affected but revenue streams, right? Unfortunately, they weren't as bad as we thought. But uh, we but we also did some other things, right? We uh, delayed some projects. Uh, we didn't hire as many seasonal workers. Uh, we didn't open the pools. We did a lot of stuff to save a bunch of money in a very short period of time. And and that, the takeaway, I guess, on that is, is that um, the council acted quickly, staff acted quickly, and and flexibly to come up with a plan that no one part of the community was really overly negatively affected. Uh, the thing that I, you know, I take very seriously and, and very hard and weighs heavy on me as a business owner is, um, you know, some people lost jobs. They did. And uh, that weighs very heavy on me. Those are the types of the things that frankly keep me up at night. Um, you know, I, I, uh, what I do in my company, uh, people rely on. People rely on that for income. They rely on it to, to pay for things and feed people. And so uh, when we have to make those types of decisions, it, it weighs heavy on us. You get this sense of responsibility for the success and the vitality of your community. So, so the financial resiliency is part of it. And, and we just got reaffirmed as a AAA credit rating. So apparently the professionals also think that we're doing a very good job and have good budget flexibility and very strong reserves. But there's also the other side of the pandemic is is what are we doing for those that are really struggling hard? Um, you know, I, I'm on the Behavioral Health Coordinating Council because I believe that we need a more robust approach to mental, mental and behavioral health here. And I really believe in the mental health action plan. There are a lot of people struggling here and we need services and support folks to do that as well. Uh, but there's also people that, that are struggling to, to pay rent, to, to, to feed themselves. And so, um, you know, there's, there's a number of strong food pantry, food approach type uh, services here in uh, the community, um, but not as much housing uh, assistance, particularly with some of the stuff that's about to expire on the federal level. And so we, uh, the town of Normal, got um, an allotment of community development block grant funds specific for the pandemic. And uh, so we went out to the community to ask them, what do they need help with? And we asked some agencies that do that work with those folks that, that generally you know, are struggling right now. And uh, housing assistance was the biggest thing for rent. So uh, one of the actions we just took at a recent council meeting was to take that whole allocation of funds in 350, 370, uh, don't quote me on the number, uh, $1,000 to support those that are struggling because they don't have work right now 
to pay their rent and, and to pay their mortgages and, and, and those kind of bills. And so uh, pandemic is a, is a huge thing, but it has a lot of tentacles and, and we're trying on a lot of fronts to, but, but that's the most pressing thing, I think. Um, and then really uh, for us, as council, I'll, I'll pause there. There's more to talk about. about yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I, you've, you've said a lot and I appreciate the, the, the nod towards the behavioral health. I think that gets missed way too much. And, you know, that this is a health crisis and there's an economic crisis, but there's that behavioral health uh, and mental mental health uh, piece to that, that they gets overlooked a lot. So I appreciate that. Um, I, I do want to, uh, I, I was going to ask about the, uh, the block grant piece. So I, I think you've covered that and we can dig in that a little more if you'd like, but I do want to make sure we hit um, one of the pieces that came out of it on the business side, um, the classic, the Joe Station House uh, um, issue, where essentially um, want to understand what what do you think the town did they get right? Did they get it wrong? Is that the, the town's role specifically using the liquor commissioner issuing fines um, to to um, Joe Station House and others, but the businesses that were choosing to stay open? What, what's your views on that? You know, it's. Uh, First, I just want to say it's it, it it's really unfortunate that we even have to have this conversation, right? Uh, you know, uh, um, part of uh, part of what we did, we looked at what Bloomington was doing and, and doing ahead of us, right? And we try when it makes sense to have parallel behavior, community to community. Uh, again, when it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't make sense, and again, two different governing bodies have different perspectives. But you know. Um, to be clear for everybody that listens to this, if it's beyond the four of us, but um, the vast, vast majority of the businesses in the town of the normal are following the rules, right? We're, we're talking about one business here today mm. um, and everybody's labeled it by the name of the business. So we're talking about one actor here. So me as a small business guy, right? I, I think what I, I want to make sure that we don't lose, and, I, and nobody's talking about this around this issue is, is that all of the businesses that were following the rules and taking one for the team to try to keep our community safe and keep their businesses open are the ones that deserve all of the attention. But unfortunately, that's not what's happening here. We're giving all the attention to the, the, the one group that decided the rules didn't need to apply to that. And I just want to commend and thank all of the businesses in, in normal that did. Um, having said that, you know, as a small business guy, I called up 10 restaurants in, in normal. And I always want to know what they have to say. I was able to talk to eight owners slash general managers of all of them. And they were all universal of what they wanted, right? They wanted to know that they had a clear set of rules that they knew how to follow. And they wanted a level playing field where everybody had to play by the same rules. Every single one of them told me that they were being hurt by what Joe Station House was doing. Every single one of them told me that they were taking money out of the pockets of their staff by doing what they were doing. Now, some of the punishments those business owners uh, suggested were far more stringent than the ones we did. Uh, uh, what we did was use a customary fine structure that any liquor code violator would, would uh, be levied. So we didn't create anything special or be extra punitive with, with Joe's. We, we did what we would do for everybody else. I guess the last thing I'll say, and there's, there's a lot to say, but one of the last things I'll say is, is that, um, you know, if, if we all get to start deciding which rules that we don't follow, 
I mean, chaos ensues. How do we decide that this one's okay to ignore and that one's not okay to ignore? And, and I don't know how to go about that. I, I'm saying sincerely, I don't know how you have an orderly society that way, but you have to. Now, the flip side, those in, that industry was hurt a lot by this pandemic. And essentially, you know, the government said, hey, you need to take one for the team, right? And personally, I believe as a business owner, I don't normally, I don't normally go for this type of approach, but I don't normally agree with this type of government intervention either, is that if, if the uh, restaurants were asked to take one for the team, then the team had to step up to make sure that they supported the businesses. Now, it was great, the response from the citizens to do curbside and, and alike, in the town of normal, you know, we extended the liquor code, we relaxed it to let to go liquor and things that they could sell to make a lot of money. But I personally, uh, I reached out to Senator Duckworth, Senator Durbin, uh, uh, Senator LaHood, a representative LaHood rather. Uh, I called their offices. I actually talked to LaHood in DC while they were in session um, to impress upon them how badly our businesses were being affected by this. Because I really believe that if, if they were sidelined because of what the community asked or the government asked, the community ought to step up or the government ought to step up. And, you know, I just urged them to get this done because our businesses were hurting. Fortunately, before the holidays, they got a deal done uh, far too long in my estimation, but more funds were made available uh, to, to help our businesses. But there's, there's more to say there, but, but I'll stop there. No, I appreciate the detail you went into there. And um, the, the comment that you had just made was similar to what I heard you say at a council meeting about being a small business owner and about how if most are following the rules, we're, we're, we're kind of shining a light um, unjustly onto the, the one. We're giving the most attention to the, the squeaky wheel. Um, so I appreciate you, you calling that out. Um, as a business owner, um, one thing I'm interested in, again, is this sort of work-life balance. And you've mentioned public outreach a bunch of different ways there, reaching out to businesses, reaching out to senators. Um, so, so, so what does the day-to-day look like for that? How, how are you continuing to outreach to all areas of the community? Yeah, so engagement, right? How do, how do we engage? So that's a, that's a uh, strategic conversation and a tactical conversation. So, you know, I, I also own two businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one that's done just fine because we operate mostly in a virtual space. And then one that is an events management company that did zero, zero uh, is in the red for 2020. Um, so I, I appreciate, you know, all the sides, but when, when we, when we think about how to engage citizens, when we think it's really about communication and the way we do it. So there's kind of a strategic focus, right? Uh, recently the town of normal uh, by some strong work that myself and Mercus and a few others did uh, have a new communications director whose job it is to be more effective as communicators, because frankly, municipalities don't do a good job. I'll say that straight. Yeah. We, we focus on being good core services providers, and, and we don't focus on being good communicators. And, and this is helping already. And so that's one and strategic. The town does really good, very, very good. And one of the reasons why I ever got involved with the community and decided that public office was something I wanted to do is because they reach out in intentionally and open public forums, engage their citizens in future planning. I mentioned some of the outset, but we also had a citizen summit, just essentially a, a listening session and a few questions, open-ended questions to try to get them to 
to, to tell us how they feel the town's going and what they'd like to see uh, happening. Uh, so there's that. Now, on the more tactical level, uh, I helped create a number of years ago something called Coffee with the Council, where we pair up with one other and we go to the coffee house or the coffee hound or some public open space and just invite citizens and yeah. ask us whatever you want, right? Just, here you go, here I am. Unfortunately, they were very poorly attended. You know, maybe with the help of the communications director, we can do a better job of letting the public know that those are going on. I'd like to see those restart because I love the idea of having us accessible, right, you know, to people. And so I love it every four years. You know, I, I by the time, you know, the election comes out, I personally will have talked to about 2,000 voters. That's wonderful, but that only happens every, you know, four years, and I can't spend 12 weeks knocking on the door every year. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and I think you hit on the head there, right? If, if there is a lack of engagement, you can't drag people into the coffee house. So I, I appreciate you calling that out. Um, and, and it's I, I only want to bring this up because I think it's important at a time when you've mentioned some of the divisiveness. And one of the issues is this transparency thing. So um, one kind of one comment that you made earlier that I'd like to revisit around that divisiveness is you said that what was on the ballot was, um, you know, a vote for continued investment or ostensity and disinvestment. Um, could you help frame up that statement a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for bringing that out. So, sure. so to, to frame that up, really, it's it's about how we view, you know, uh, what government should be doing, right? And so when we think about, you know, I don't know if you guys have kids. Or, or, or where you are in your life cycle or not, right? But, you know, most people are focused on, on where they are specifically. When you, when you get elected to a chair to represent, one of the things you, you uh, uh, have to be focused on is what happens for my kids? What happens for their kids? What happens for the next generation? And so uh, as, a, as a business owner, right, I'm at the pointy end of that stick, you know, Five years ago, if I didn't do some of the things I did and spent some of the money on some of the things I did five years ago, I wouldn't have been in the position I was today to weather a pandemic. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. And there's folk, people that are very focused myopically down on potholes, as if somehow that brings businesses to our community to grow jobs and invest here. You know, streets without potholes doesn't do economic development. And so we've got, you know, we've got somebody who's running against Mayor Coos, who's on video saying that the community would be better off, that Rivian was a bad idea, that we'd be better off knocking down the factory and turning it to farm ground. That is a fundamental difference in perspective, in idea of what economic, the value of economic development is and whether or not we should be involved in it. And, and personally, everybody I talk to, right, when you talk about what's going on at Rivian, the words they use are amazing, necessary, so important, jobs, investment in the community, funding for schools. All of those things are what I'm hearing at the doors. People talk about when I say, how do you feel about Rivian? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you've got me and the mayor and others that are focused on that type of invest, investment in our future and those who don't want anything to do with that. And that's unfortunate, but but that's the stark uh, uh, difference. Does that help? Yes, that does help. And I appreciate you kind of um, clarifying the the fruits of those investments, um, because I think that's one thing. It's sort of a doom and gloom future type perspective right now on the ballot where we're saying all this debt's going to come by and crush us. So I appreciate you kind of calling out some of those um, some of those. 
and and I'll just throw in and, and Kevin, you can correct me if if I'm misspeaking here, but uh, to be fair, um, I think I think you're if if you're saying like, hey, four years ago, you know, on the video, the one candidate saying saying that 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 was the position then, and you and the mayor were in a different position and were pushing, we're, I, I think that's fair, but I don't think that. And, and again, correct me if I'm wrong of that candidate saying now Rivian's a bad idea and we shouldn't be doing that. And I think that time is a distinction just, just to frame that up. Do you feel differently or. So you're saying he feels differently now about Rivian? Is that what you're saying? Well, I, I, and, and I'm not trying to make it about another candidate, yeah, but yeah. It, the, the, yeah. just, just the framing of, of saying uh, there are two different views and, yeah. And, and, and that's, that's the, the point you're trying to make that there's two different views here. Absolutely. Uh, between that. So go, and that matters for going forward is your point. Uh, but you're not saying that the candidate is right now saying on video, shut Rivian down, all that. No, thank you for clarifying. Now. And, and, and I bring that up because that yeah, specifically, yes. we yes. talked to Mr. No, Tertilli and he, he brought that up himself. So I wanted to. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's fair point on in yeah. a meeting in December of 2016 is, is a video yeah. I'm talking about. Thank yep. you for clarifying yep. it. And yes, no, uh, no, I, he's, at least I'm not aware that he's saying that currently, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I think, you know, the important point here, the, the, the point I wanted to try to make is that, you know, that's a, you know, those are the moments that are difficult when you're sitting in a chair and, and you have the confidence of people to vote on their behalf is, you know, not all, most of these decisions are mundane, I'm, you know, water bills and, you know, paying the firemen and the policemen and, you know, the, the day to day. But, but we need leaders that are experienced and, and future focused that have actual experience in business to look at things critically from an economic development perspective and make well-informed strategic decisions that aren't always popular, that are just difficult, but do realize benefits for everybody in our community. And I think that's the big difference is you've got a group of people who don't have any of that type of experience. And even some are still think, saying that, that Rivian, you know, was a questionable decision. But, but personally, for me, I, I think universally the community accepts that Rivian was a really great decision and, uh, and we're reaping a really great uh, reward from it. Well, let's let's go ahead. We're at the halfway point, or just a little bit past the halfway point here. So let's go ahead and, and kick into our lightning round. This might trigger some of the topics we talk about in the second half here. Um, so just going to list some uh, issues. Looking for the first thing that pops into your mind, kind of you know three five words less. Um, what what hits you when I say that? And then again, we can dig into some of these a little bit later. Um, but the first one is uptown normal. Uh, place people love. Okay. Second one is connect transit. Uh, community asset, uh, diversity and inclusion. Third one is Rivian. <sighs> Amazing benefit, economic development, uh, future of normal. Illinois State University. Uh, great partner, strategic allied, future of normal. The sports complex. Uh, great asset, sports tourism, economic development. Urban sprawl. Uh, urban sprawl. Uh, controllable. Uh, uh, sustainability topic. Constitution Trail. Uh, jewel of the community. Universally loved. Pandemic mental health saver. Um, economic development. Uh, 
critical for the uh, vitality and future of our community. And then the final one, City of Bloomington. Partner. Perfect. One word answer to finish it off. How'd I do? Yep. Great. Is great. that a Rorschach test? <laughs> it's it's always analyze me based on that. We, we, yeah, we'll we'll get your results back, and that's. <laughs> no, it's always it's always good to hear uh, the different views. Um, you know, we can jump into a couple of these issues, but like a connect transit. You know, one person says ADA, one person says uh, Panagraph building. One say, you know, there's there's so much to unwrap there. So it just kind of shows what's on on your mind. That's why we we like doing it. Listeners like give us feedback that they like this as well. Um, let me jump into one of the topics that was on there that, that surprisingly we haven't talked a ton about, um, and that's Uptown, Uptown Normal. Um, I know that that's been a, an issue and in, in many of the different candidates taking different views on that. Um, so we'll kind of go wherever you want to go on this one, but um, some specific topics we've talked to other candidates about, um, the Trails East building and, and where we're at on that, the um, one Uptown, uh, the first floor build out. Um, and then Uptown 2.0, um, you know, across the tracks sort of thing. So just curious as to what are your thoughts looking back over your time on, on Uptown Normal Project? And then going forward, where do you think we need to be or what, what would be next in your world? Yeah. So, again, starting kind of at the strategic uh, level conversation about Uptown. Um, so to, to level set, right, we, we have other communities coming to the town of normal to try to figure out how a little 55,000 person community could, could bring 150, 175 million of private investment into our central business district. I, I'm telling you literally around the country, we are famous for what we've been able to do. Uh, I know there's, there's some candidates who disagree with that. I would encourage them to go to other communities of our size around the country to see what's not happening in their communities and come back and look at what's, what's ours. From, from a numbers perspective, you know, the success is undeniable, right? So in 2003, 2005, the Uptown uh, TIF area was generating about $50,000, right, in, in property tax. Today, it's generating over $2.5 million in property tax. Now, remember, let's, let's level set on what that actually means. The 60% or so of property tax goes to fund various levels of our school systems and then the rest of the taxing bodies. Only about 10 to 12% of that goes to the town of normal. The rest of those are benefiting those. As soon as the TIF expires, they will start to get, uh, to get some of that benefit, right? Plus, right, the Amtrak station investment, the Children's Discovery Museum, all the cool places that people love to be and come, that quality of life and quality of space. But let's not, let's not forget, there's a Marriott full of jobs. There's a Hyatt full of jobs. There's a Medici full of jobs. And, you know, that might be not your or my choice of a place to work, but it certainly, you know, feeds a lot of students, feeds a lot of people that that's a good job, good paying job for them if that's the course that they, that they want to go. And so uh, school funding, uh, uh, general fund, general operations of the community funding, uh, jobs for local people. It's, it's the success of Uptown has been undeniable. Uh, I'll stop if there's more you want to trigger in different directions. You know, if you want to talk about specific projects, Trailside East, again, I think, you know, that's uh, being brought up again. Um, you know, uh, uh, I think when we look at, at what the opportunity is to corporate headquarters, 
uh, into um, uh, the uh, building uh, when it gets done. Uh, I've talked to both of those companies. Um, I've talked to one of the CEOs of that company directly. Um, and, and what they're looking for is a place. Uh, both of these companies work internationally, uh, nationally and internationally. And they bring people to our community to sell their company and their work. And they want a place like Uptown Normal. Think about that now, a place people love. They want a building in Uptown Normal to bring clients and customers to sell our community and to sell their companies because they're both growing and expanding here. And so when we start to think about what that opportunity is, right, all of a sudden when you put it in the context of, of larger economic development and larger opportunity, it makes a lot of sense. If, if you want to focus on the microscopic and take things out of context, you know, the mural is a difficult conversation. We, we had, you know, a small handful of artists that, you know, got hungry and wanted to make a lot of money off their, their square on the wall. Uh, and it's unfortunate because that's on the public dime. And, uh, I, you know, I wish there was a more amicable solution to that. I wish it didn't come down to that. Um, I, I, I wish, you know, we, we could have agreed that public art was great and found the next location for the next piece of public art. As a, as a rational, reasonable decision, a reasonable uh, uh, next step, or, or figure out, was there a place in the new building that we could put some public art that, that, that would have been better? Um, but unfortunately, you know, those groups didn't want to have those conversations. They weren't interested in that kind of conversation. And, and I think that, you know, this brings in the divisive politics part is, is we need to have reasonable conversations. And, and when, when a group or an individual takes a specific standard says, this is my way, it's the highway and nothing else. And they're not willing to have a discussion or a conversation. It makes really hard uh, to get collaborative work done, to get uh, multiple perspectives into building a solution, which I think we all agree, multiple perspectives often comes with, you know, the outcome is the, the greatest answers. But there, there's more we could talk about uptown, but, but generally speaking, overwhelming financial success, overwhelmingly great place that people love to be. And I'll stop there unless you want to talk more about anything specific. No, I, uh, I think that was a great answer. I really appreciate the depth that you go into. It's, uh, it's nice to see the experience coming out um, in your, the way you're articulating these answers. Um, one thing that stuck out to me, and I don't know, um, I think it's kind of along the lines of the, uh, the, the uptown normal question, is you mentioned sustainability in uptown or in, in urban sprawl. Uh, so we've got Rivian and we can kind of look in that direction. Uh, we talk about the waterline, but um, if we think about sustainability in uptown normal, um, how, how do we continue the progress? We have Trails East, you know, we've got kind of Uptown 2.0 going. So um, what's your vision in the next term uh, for continuing to develop progress in Uptown Normal? So, you know, this brings in, in the conversation about debt, it brings in and, and a bunch of stuff, right? So the, the town of Normal, you know, by the way, Batch was in finance, first job was an accountant, right? So you, you you understand now why you hear me say stuff that I say on council meetings. I'm a bit hawkish on the budget, and and I'm a, essentially an analytic geek, right? I was going to say, I feel like you're about to talk out all that now because I am the uh, I, I I have a master's in art, so I have absolutely no idea about finance. But I appreciate you taking <laughs> me down this rabbit hole. Perfect. <laughs> I'll counter we your degree in finance. <laughs> So I'm not the guy that comments on the quality of the art on the mural on the wall. But so, so when we talk about economic momentum, right, which is essentially, I think, the question that you're asking is, how do we maintain economic momentum? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, we need leaders 
that are willing to maintain that focus. And that's getting back to the difference between the candidates that are on the slate. Some do not want to focus on that at all, doesn't believe that we should be doing that at all. And they want to, I mean, their, their single issue is potholes. And, and that's unfortunate because what that does is rob future generations of normalites of the potential of new work, of new creative companies, of business investment here when we're afraid to or unwilling to be creative about maintaining economic momentum. So that's first and foremost, you need leaders that are willing to do that and to support the economic development professional agencies, the Economic Development Council, the Chamber, the CDB and others, Small Business Development Center, who are all here focused on that, on yeah. building jobs, building, growing uh, local business organically and attracting new businesses to come into our uh, community and invest their money and invest in people here. So, um, you know, we've got a number of things. So, so uh, that is used for us, in, particularly in the Uptown area, to, to do long-term projects that provide decades and decades of benefits to, to uh, normalize, to, to normal citizens, right? We don't use debt to fund operations. That's not the role of debt. That's, in my opinion, uh, that's the wrong use of it, and we shouldn't do that, and we don't. And, and so in economic development, right, the, the councils before me took that approach, right? But we also have to be able to identify revenue that will pay for that debt. And that's been a policy of the town of normal that if we're taking on debt, we have to identify a way to pay for that debt before we ever take it on. It's a very, very responsible way to use that. So I bring this up to say is, is that if there are projects available that some debt needs, we may have to take some out for uh, an underpass if that project comes to, to pass. I think that's very important. For the south side, we've got some developers that have expressed interest in doing projects in the south side, but they've they've emphasized how important that that uptown connector, the underpass, is. Um, I can tell you, you know, personally, uh, you know, that's a very big project. It's, it's expensive, and uh, uh, I don't think we can do it. I, I, I'm not going to support it if we don't have significantly uh, external funding from the federal government and the state government, uh, because you know, you know, the the amount of of local match funding that we can do is, is very limited uh, right now. And so, um, but that doesn't mean we can't be creative uh, on a small scale, Fiala, Fiala Brothers Brewing, right? You know, let's take this down a notch, uh, economic development. You know, brothers, they got an idea. They've got a successful salmon shop, you know, doing well with DD Doe and they, they've got a bigger idea and, and they need a little help. We said, okay, you get your shop going, you start brewing your beer, you're successful and you start generating sales tax, we'll kick some of that sales back, tax back to help you with your funding gap. So that's how the town of Normal can, can view themselves as a partner, as a facilitator in economic development, not necessarily a leader, but how can we support and be business friendly to help guys like that that are willing to take a risk on our community be successful? So how would you, um, your opponents are going to say that those sort of deals are, um, are one-off and they're not universal across the board. That's one thing I've heard from some of your opponents. Um, so how would you defend uh, helping out a Fiala Brothers and again, not offering that sort of universal incentive to the into all the businesses? So, so the standardized incentive versus individual incentive conversation, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So Patrick EDC, uh, we laid that at his feet and said, here, Go figure out this gigantic, hairy, complicated uh, process of standardized incentive. 
And uh, from what I understand, he's doing a very good job and he's got a lot of the buy-in. I think there's absolutely a role for that. I think it's very, very important. Um, but understand that, that, you know, a universal incentive is not one size fits all. And so if that incentive has to do with uh, uh, building, right, uh, development to your your point about infill versus sprawl, and I promise we'll actually get to that. But, uh, 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 you know, the Fiala brothers are, are constructing a building. So that standardized incentive may appeal to them. But what about the businesses who aren't building a building? Mm-hmm. Does a standardized incentive also help support them? And I think that that's where, if you're paying attention to economic development, you have to realize that, that that standardized incentive is going to help some large-scale projects. It's going to do some very good things. And I think it's important that incentives are available universally and equally and accessible by everybody. I 100% agree with the premise. But I also know that one size does not fit all, that all incentive packages aren't going to be good for everybody. Now, as far as sprawl and uptown, so uptown normal is an infill project, meaning we're taking old space, and we're repurposing and rebuilding it new. And what it's doing, we already talked about the amazing increase in tax base and tax revenue to help fund things like schools, right? Super important. Up in Kane County, what they did is they put a ring around the community and they went out and they got farmers and they they actually taxed themselves. They agreed to tax themselves to fund deeding those properties in this donut and saying it'll never get developed. Now, that's a, that's a pretty big, bold idea to say, we're going to landlock ourselves and not go around this loop, right? But what it, what it shows me in a couple of things, one is, is that when we decide that the value of our community is preserving our natural lands, and, and here the agricultural land, right, is super important, very important is that if we come together for a community conversation, it's pretty amazing and creative what we're willing to do to be able to do that. And I think we have to continue to have that type of sustainability conversation about what we do, not just in Uptown, but for our entire community, whether we're talking about, you know, power generation, whether we're talking about our water use issues, whether we're talking about sustainability from a built structures perspective, lead certification on all of those sorts of things. So there's many aspects to, to this notion of, of sprawl and sustainability, but again, we only have a few minutes to talk. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Kevin, I was going to say, we, we do only have about five minutes left. Um, and, and man, there's so much that I want to dig into um, and, and go down. I wish we had another hour to, to keep chatting, but yeah. um, is, is there anything uh, from your viewpoint that you feel voters should need to need to know that we haven't discussed or, or yeah. topics that you think are really passionately important and kind of, Kind of t- tell about you and your story that you want to talk on. Yeah, well, I think you know, you know, real quick. Um, obviously, debt is also, uh, although I'm, uh, less of a role in this election than that was uh, in previous roles. And so, you know, people are people are getting that a AAA means that we're very strong financially, right? People are starting to understand that. But but it's also important to understand that you know, eighty one point three million dollars of debt sounds massive and scares people. But, you know, if we bring it down to our level, right, and we think about a mortgage. So if the town of Normal currently pays about 6 to 8% of, of our income towards paying the debt, right? So that's like saying if, if somebody had a $3,000 a month income, right, 
6% of that would be a $180 a month mortgage. Or if you had $4,000 income, it'd be a $240 mortgage. Now, when we put it on that scale, people certainly go, oh, wow, that's not a lot. And, and it's not. Our debt is very, very affordable. It's very well managed. And that's why we get the AAA. But I also want to say, you know, next summer, June 2022, we're going to, to, to pay off an $8.2 million bond. So from 2017 to 2022, the town of Normal will have retired $22 million in debt. People aren't talking about that. They don't know why. We're very focused on it. We're paying it off. We've got a great plan that involves retiring debt without adding one cent of tax to anybody at all. Very responsibly managed. Uh, so, so that's it uh, on, on, on debt. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot on social equity that, that we haven't had the chance uh, to talk about. Um, there's a lot on community benchmarking from what we see in other cities and what that we're doing and what we're learning about how well we're doing by looking at places like Greenville, South Carolina and Conway, Arkansas, university communities that also have car plants. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of that um, uh, to, to unpack. Um, there's great economic development stuff going on, uh, active conversations with the Economic Development Council by companies that are looking to locate right next to Rivian, uh, and they're going to need infrastructure. They're going to need things like water mains if that comes off. And, uh, and uh, you know, there's, there's a great reason to put a water main out there anyway to close a, a, a loop so we quit having water, you know, uh, dead-end water uh, pipe issues out uh, in that area anyway. But even better if we've got some companies that are going to come out and, and uh, invest in our community. Um, so, so there's, there's a lot about that. I think um, the town can continue to focus on social equity issues from a whole bunch of positions. We talked about block grants and housing assistance and certainly that, but it's also uh, making sure that everybody has access to an internet service. As we learned, you know, education was critically dependent upon it during a pandemic. And people's ability to work from home suddenly became dependent upon their internet connection. And so I think that as a community, we really need to start to look at, at accessibility issues from all things. We need to look at our government boards and, and start to make sure that, you know, our boards and commissions reflect, you know, the complexity and the, and the complexion of our community. Do we have the right people on there that, that are re representing perspectives? You know, do we have a diversity of housing stock that's for all levels of our community? You know, people that want to age in place, uh, you know, young professionals that are looking to come here but don't want a, a yard and a house to own. Do we have that kind of housing stock for them as well? I, I think uh, diversity of housing is, is, a, is a focus of the council coming up in future development and that, that uh, uh, redevelopment stuff that uh, you're talking about. So I think that's another issue. I'll pause there if there's anything else you want to ask. There's so much more to talk about. Yeah, there's. I, I wish we had more time, but we are we are up against our end of uh, end of the podcast here. But I do want to make sure um, if voters have uh, they want to find out more information about you, uh, speak with you, volunteer, donate, uh, interact with the campaign in any way. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Sure. So um, uh, the website is McCarthyForCouncil.com. Uh, the word for. Uh, and, and you can volunteer, you can donate, uh, you can learn uh, uh, all of what you just heard and, and much more out on the website. Uh, on social media, uh, Councilman McCarthy on Facebook and uh, Twitter. 
And uh, Kevin for normal, sorry, Facebook and Instagram is Councilman McCarthy. And Kevin for normal on Twitter. Okay, very good. A little more, time. <laughs> more, more than you ever wanted to know. Guys, love to do part two or three of this and, and, sure. and dive into these topics more deeply. But uh, uh, I really appreciate what you guys are doing for a couple reasons. One, on the municipal election at the level, as you know, that they're, they're nonpartisan. And, and because of that, there's very little structure under supporting local government. And it's so critical for what happens in everybody's everyday life. So the opportunity to come here and have a conversation is rare that we, we get to have these in-depth conversations. So thanks for doing this. I don't know what your audience level is. Uh, however, I can help pump it up. Let me know. I'll sure. be pushing it out on my social media. I'm assuming I'll have access to it and, yep. uh, and we'll push it out. But, uh, there you go. Well, very, very good. Uh, well said. Reminding listeners that uh, the election is going to be on April 6th and early voting is uh, started up at, uh, you can go to BCPA um, right now, go on out and vote again. There's uh, nine at-large candidates for three spots. Um, and as Kevin just said, they're nonpartisan. So, and, and it's uh, townwide, like we discussed. So you pick your three and then we all wait on election day and, and see uh, who came out on top here. So, um, Kevin, very much appreciate your time. Before we go, though, um, do want to say a, a big special thank you to Little Beavers Brewery. They are our longtime sponsor of the election um, podcast series, and we couldn't do that without their support. They've been great. Um, they have new extended hours going on out out uh, at, at Little Beaver. They have the patio open, 24 beers on tap, tons of food now. If you haven't been out there, checked out uh, the pizzas, burgers, uh, family friendly, and, and just a Really good experience. So um, as we're coming out, we're getting into warm weather, coming out of the quarantine. Want to encourage everybody to go out, check out Little Beaver's Brewery. And, and actually, Kevin, we were talking about this uh, off the air here that uh, you're the unofficial uh, beer council member of of the town of Normal. As as I've heard, it's been uh, been called. You want to explain that a little bit or, or talk about Little Beaver's? Yeah, I think you know the craft beer industry is a great economic engine here, right? You know. But, uh, you know, I was actually at the ribbon cutting for Little Beaver at their uh, location. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Irish and German. So that means that I'm going to enjoy my stouts and my porters and the like. And so uh, they pour a really good uh, dark, uh, dark selection down at uh, Little Beaver. And, and uh, I was a big fan of the stout that I had, uh, have had down there and, and really enjoy that. So... Uh, get out and support local, drink local, uh, have some fun down there. Uh, they're big community uh, fans and big community supporters, so go uh, show them some love. Well, well said. Uh, thanks again, Kevin, for coming on the podcast and appreciate your time. Thanks, guys.